what I'd like to do is go into a community in its entirety and say, listen, community, give us five years, do this, and you will change the landscape of sport, which is going to affect uh, a lot more ecosystems than just the sport ecosystem. It's it's the social construct of the community. It's everything, as you know. So we're ready. We're live. We're ready. We're at market right now. It is time to do something about inactive populations. From physical literacy to policy change to youth sport and education development, we are a collective of smart and experienced servant leaders ready to take a stand. We are the Quality Coaching Collective And this is the Quality Coaching Collective Podcast. My name is Martin Reeder, 2012 Canadian Beach Volleyball Olympian, Nike trainer, and athlete entrepreneur. I will be your host as we speak with members of the collective to gain insight, challenge the status quo, and share our passion for improving health and sport culture. So clear your mind, grab a notebook, And let's dive into this episode. Ladies and gentlemen, Quality Coaching Collective podcast project episode number one. Yeah, we got Matt Young in the house. He is the founder of Innovative Fitness, Personal Support Record, and HealthMet Technologies, but is also, most importantly, the big papa here. He's the, the captain at the Quality Coaching Collective. Welcome, Matt. Martin, thanks so much for having me and excited to be uh, number one on the on the podcast. Thank you. Love it. I love it. So right off the bat, would love to just dive into where you are in the world right now. Well, uh, I'm from North, living in North Vancouver, BC, uh, do a lot of consulting and, and uh, that has me traveling on the road. Uh, right now, some of our projects span from, you know, Colorado at the uh, U.S. Olympic Committee um, high performance training center all the way to Norway and uh, one of our platforms for physical literacy. So uh, all the, those great destinations and everything in between locally and, uh, and regionally and, and nationally as well. Beautiful. And beyond those three title pieces, you have your fingers in a ton of different pies, but give me three different ways that you might describe yourself or, or words that you might use to describe yourself uh, just so people can get to know a little bit more about you before we dive in. Yeah, thanks. I think one of the words that I would uh, describe myself is tenacious. Once uh, something gets in into my head, an idea, uh, I will tenaciously follow that until we bring it to some sort of execution or fruition. Mm-hmm. Um, also, yeah, open um, one of the things that I really enjoy about the work that we've had the pleasure of doing is surrounding myself with people that are as good as and better than me and with a d- diverse set of skill sets. It's it's one thing and it's really easy to surround yourself with uh, like mind and yes men and yes women, um, but that's not really where the growth happens. Uh, the growth happens when you have uh, contrary uh, opinions, when you have blind spots covered at the table. So really open to uh, making sure that when you set up, when we set up teams, we set those with all of those things in mind. Uh, and the last thing is passionate. Um, and, and, and I don't like to use the word passionate like it's a, a, a little puppy cute word. Uh, I like to use the word passionate like it's a, it's a holy smokes. Um, it is very clear what that person stands for within five minutes of having a conversation with them. Uh, I think it's important because I think um, you, you know, it's one thing to say you're passionate about something and you're following your passion. It's another thing to say, wow, 
that is very obvious uh, what that man or woman stands for, and and that's infectious. So uh, I don't want the cute, passionate, puppy passionate. I want the infectious, infectious passionate. Well, I can certainly attest to the latter. You have made an impact in my life. I'd like to say since I retired from the Olympics, the last five years, off and on, we've been uh, touching base, and you stand by all three of those every single day. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And and on a personal side, just outside of the professional where we're going to dive into, any any personal projects that you're you're currently working on or investing time into? Um, not really, Martin. I think you know you know work is life, and life is work. It's not a, a bad balance. Um, you know, personally, I, I pursue at at perhaps lesser degrees the things that I'm interested in professionally. Um, so helping out the community uh, sport organizations or leagues or uh, or workshops or rec departments and doing some calls, volunteering, doing that kind of stuff, giving back to the communities that, that service um, us and that we service, uh, I think is important. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly see that. Well, moving into that, I uh, kind of went over a couple of your title occupations, but let's let's just throw it right in. What are you working on right now, Matt? What's exciting? What's new? I think the the newest thing uh, is two things, Martin. Number one is the personal sport record. Um, very quickly, we've got an opportunity. Let's call it that in our youth sports system, particularly to really um, reframe what we're measuring because we know what gets measured is what matters. Um, we're great at measuring the score, who scored in the standings, um, and, and that's fantastic. But what we're missing or, or the opportunity we're missing is to support the long-term, uh, the, 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 the process of long-term athlete development. And I just want to touch on the difference between the process and the outcome um, because the score, who scored in the standings, those are outcomes. And, and, and I am not anti-win. I am not anti-competition. I think those are, are are really important and key determinants in shaping young men and women, um, women's character and their whole well-being in the, all of them. I'm speaking to the converted because you're a Canadian Olympian, you get this. Um, but sometimes if you don't have an experience in sport or you haven't had a good experience in sport, you may have missed that. Um, so defaulting to the outcomes uh, really cuts off the, the, the connection uh, with the youth and, and the process of what's happening. How are they doing across the technical, tactical aspects? Did they begin, did they end the year better than they started the year? Yeah. Uh, how are they doing across their physical um, building and their physical progress uh, across speed, strength, endurance, power, all those kind of things that are our qualifications of sport? And now, more so than ever, emerging is how are they doing across the social, emotional aspects of sport and the mental, psychological aspects of sport? Because you know, those have been, as we move to a more controlled, contrived environment, mm-hmm. um, those are less and less happening organically. Um, you know, everything is scheduled. By contrived, I mean we're scheduling drop-offs, we're scheduling sports, we're scheduling events, we're in the cars, we're not playing. There's no free play. And where the free play happens is when a lot of the natural uh, social, emotional, and mental, psychological components uh, came into sport and came into the development of athletes around sport. So that's one of the things that we're working on. It's a platform, and it actually is designed to hold us accountable, the adults, the coaches, the organizations, the parents, to what sh- the athletes, to what should be happening across the youth sport development. Um, because a lot of times we don't, we don't know what we don't know. So we default to what's being sold to us and what's being sold to us again is, is what matters is the score, who scores in the standings. 
um, that is only good for a small percentage. We need to focus on the 99% as much or if not more than we need to focus on the 1%. So that's the sport record. Huge opportunity there. Now, how far along are you in the process of, of bringing personal sport record to, uh, to the public? Yeah, happy to announce that we're almost there. As as any startup goes, you're you're it never kind of uh, goes as you want it. However, you know we've spoken with a lot of national sport organizations, NGBs, national governing bodies in the United States uh, and in Canada. We've spoken to a lot of provincial and state sport organizations and a lot of local sport organizations who are saying, yeah, you know what. Uh, we need to stop the bleeding. We need to stop this exodus of kids from sport because they're not having fun. Uh, and if this is a tool that can help them um, be grounded and understand some of the things that matter, um, we're in. So we're getting a lot of good uh, uptake from uh, small pockets. What I'd like to do is go into a community in its entirety and say, listen, community, give us five years, do this, and you will change the landscape of sport, which is going to affect uh, a lot more ecosystems than just the sport ecosystem. It's it's the social construct of the community. It's everything, as you know. So we're ready. We're live. We're ready. Uh, we're building out um, additions based on feedback all the time, but we're we're at market right now. That's phenomenal. I love how your approach is this communal one, and you're looking at talking to and engaging the child. So frequently, we're talking from this pedestal, talking about this should happen and that should happen, but you're directly engaging the youth in that process. So that's so great. Um, just thinking about the future, like you, you said, five years within a community, like what does success look like for a personal sport record as you move forward? How are you really, truly looking to make an impact in that child's life? You know what, Martin, that's a great question. And one of the things that you alluded to was athlete-centric. We're putting the athletes first. And, and I, I really like how you describe what is happening in the sports system. And I don't think it's happening intentionally or maliciously. It's called the adultification of youth sports. So, you know, it's if we're in a room of 10 people and we go, you know, what's the problem with youth sport? 10 out of 10 people will say parents. And they'll all agree and we'll talk about the crazy stories about, you know, some of the parents that we see in car coaching and you know, living vicariously through their kids. So that's widely accepted. You know, parents are well-intended but sometimes not well-informed. We want to we want to inform them if we can inform parents better so that they know what should be happening so they know when to cheer when not to cheer know what to say and not to say that's success um, you know if we're in a room of ten, ten people six out of ten will say the coaches uh, because the coaches and the teachers and the educators are the ones that are really uh, tasked with teaching and delivering a, a quality sport experience so that means. We need to support them in knowing and how to teach what a quality sport experience is. It's not the amount of wins they had during the season. It's how many kids came back. How many kids did they attract? How many kids want to continue playing sport because they had such a good experience, uh, you know, under that coach and with that coach? Um, that's really, you know, the more coaches we can turn on to positive coaching experiences and support with quality coaching materials and tools and resources – that's success. Um, two out of the 10 people will say, you know, organizations, we, we really need the organizations to buy in because it really has to be a top down, bottom up, you know, filter. So, you know, our, 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 our measure of success is organizations saying, you know what, we're not playing one sport all year round because we know that's not advantageous. Uh, you know, we're going to have sport sampling. We're going to, we're not just going to as quickly as possible at age eight, nine, and 10, try to streamline our future uh, Olympic team 
10 years later and only focus on those 22, 12, 5, 7 kids. You know, we're going to keep everyone in, you know, I think the quote is as many as you can, as long as you can with the best environment that you can. You know, that's success for us in terms of the sport record. Did we, were we able to do that? Because we're, Martin, we're, we're getting objective. We're, we're using data to objective data to make informed decisions as opposed to our subjective data, our opinions, uh, because everyone has a different opinion. And we're not saying that every house needs to be built and look exactly the same. But what's, what's consistent when you build a house? The foundation's consistent. It's cement. The framework's consistent. It's wood. Mm-hmm. And then what's changing is the furniture and fixtures. So we don't mind if you're going to bring furnitures and fixtures, but it can't be at it, the expense of a crappy foundation and, and, and an unsound uh, uh, you know, framework. Yeah. So how are you looking at empowering the coaches? Because I'm seeing this community feel, which I absolutely love, and you're working from that top-down, bottom-up approach. Are you looking to work with coaches or provide coaches with some type of feedback or tool so that they can support the kids? How does that coaching shift happen through personal sport record? Yeah, you bet. Great question. And so a couple ways. Number one, we need coaches to, to be informed of who they're coming to. So each year at our amateur level, the seasons rotate, uh, tryouts start, and the coaches are given a team on Tuesday. They, and then on Saturday is their first game. They have no history of the athletes. They don't know who they're getting. They don't know what's happening. I'll use hockey as example. You know, it starts after the summer holidays. So if you're that that athlete who has, has unfortunately had to spend your summer holidays or three weeks of it in a camp, um, you're going to have an advantage when, you, when it comes time for early September over the kid that actually was out there living, exploring, and doing some of the September things. Uh, that's not going to be reflected on the first and second day of tryouts uh, until the, the kids who are actually living or doing other things in the summer get their get their groove back. Well, by that time, they've been cut from the top team and they're down on the bottom team. So by having the sport record and having an entire historic overview of that athlete, their coach feedback, their self-assessment, the coach's assessment, um, you know, the, 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 some of the traits across their, their physical skills, their technical tactical skills, their social emotional skills, you're going to have a better sense of who you're getting and where, and we can be a little more consistent with that. Number two, as coaches, I'll ask you this question in your time, how do coaches evaluate themselves? Because to my knowledge, most coaches look in the mirror and go, I'm a pretty good coach. Yeah. Uh, or, or they use the, the, the win-loss column. If they're winning, they're a good coach. If they're losing, they're not a good coach. Uh, well, that's not necessarily true. And one of the opportunities that we ha- have created in the sport record is for the athletes, the 5 to, to 15 to 40 kids that a coach is going to spend an entire season with to anonymously assess the coach across all the social, emotional, and mental psychological good for you guys. Wow. I, I had no idea that there was that feature. That's such an important piece that's missing because throughout my, my athletic career, just because a coach has a history of excellence based on the team's win to loss record generally didn't reflect or may not reflect their actual impact as a coach and how, how good they were. They might just have been a great recruiter and the rest just kind of happened. Uh, and I've seen some very destructive coaches that had uh, a great win to loss ratio. So th- that's amazing that the, the youth can be a part of contributing to the coaches. So awesome. I commend you. Yeah. And I want to go back to that because, you know, you asked how, how do we measure success? And 
and, and I started by saying, if we go into a room and ask people who's in charge of it, you know, 10 out of 10 say the parents, 6 out of 10 say the coaches, 2 out of 10 say the sport organizations, but almost 9 times out of 10, 0 out of 10 focus on the athletes. Mm-hmm. And that's the adultification right there. Mm-hmm. We, we, we're so focused on, on, we're not focused on the athlete first. So, yeah, what we want to do is we want to give the athlete the controls. They need to be responsible to their goals. They need to understand, you know, what how to set goals, how to, how to take advantage and how to take control over their performance. Um, you know, and nobody better to, to understand that than, than a person with your, that has reached a level that you reached. Uh, I mean, at some point, nobody did it for you. You had to be, you had to be in it and involved in it. Mm-hmm. Big time. Well, think talking about these issues, like what do you think is that one low hanging piece that maybe a personal sport record is, is diving into, or maybe it's even a, a little bit bigger that, we can start to make change in right now within the, the youth sport and, and health culture? I, I would say it's that, Martin. I'd say that it's a really good question. I would say athlete first. We need to keep repeating our, that to ourselves. You know, as a parent on the ride home, what are you saying to your son or daughter when they hop in the car? It should only be these words. I, man, I love watching you play. Yeah. That's all we should say. Um, you know, as a coach, um, you know, when we're coaching, we're not, we're not, are we yelling on the sidelines? What, what are we doing there? Like the, the yelling doesn't happen. It's, it's the ex- exploration. Um, you know, how many coaches actually ask their athletes, what are your goals for the season? What are our team goals for this season? It rarely happens. Uh, you, you know, there's a very, it, it's, it's the, it's the hierarchy The coaches up here and we'll do what I say. And it filters down to the athletes. We don't live in that world anymore. We live in a world where anybody at any age can pick up any device and have their opinions heard and want their opinions heard and make their opinions heard. So we have to stop. Uh, you know, I, I worry uh, when we say the eight most dangerous words in youth sport because that's the way we've always done it. Um, I worry. So I think, you know, the athlete, athlete first, athlete first, athlete first. And again, it's a really tough concept to wrap your head around because we're so outcome-based as a society mm-hmm. that that's what matters. That's what sells. That's what the sound bites, the outcome. What well, did you win or lose? That's really all that matters. But well, short-term or long-term, we got to start looking at ourselves going, hey, listen, the United States soccer team just missed qualifying for the World Cup when there's countries that are the size of Burlington and Hamilton that are, 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 are kicking butt. I mean, we got something to learn from these people. So the amount of money, think about the amount of money and time and energy that's invested into these academies across the United States soccer. And I'm not just picking on them. We do it in all sports. But think about all the money and where is it gone? Uh, you know, because we focused on 22 kids when they were 10 and we said, by this date, these are going to be our guys and girls. Well, what about the late bloomers? What about the kids that decided they wanted to get out of hockey and try soccer? We've cut, we've walled them off. Um so anyway, let alone the money you need after to handle those 22 athletes because they're scarred for life because there's just so much pressure that uh, that was put on them at such an early age when they just didn't have the coping mechanisms. Yeah, great point. Yeah, nice. Well, that I think that's a perfect segue just in terms of myths and misconceptions. There's just so much information and, and so many, you know, highly educated people that are sharing information. What is a myth or a misconception that you're seeing in your space right now that that you're just aware of and would love to see change uh so something that just isn't going in the right direction <laughs> i'm know. so glad you asked that i just got goosebumps because you asked that Dang, uh, how much time do we have <laughs> no no yeah well that too um number one martin more more is better
So we, we see the, you know, um, at the young, uh, young ages and stages, well, my son or daughter is going to pick up extra practices and get extra coaching. And they got the dryland trainer. They got their own trainer. They got the nutritionist. They got the sports psychologist. More is better. We've turned um, the beauty, the natural beauty and enjoyment of sport and its purpose into a part-time job. Yeah. And, and what we're seeing is millions of kids say, I quit. I, I'm no, I don't want to come work here anymore. Um, that, that needs to change. More isn't better. Um, you know, you look at the countries like Finland and Iceland, um, you know, they don't have academies. You can't be in an academy until you're, until you're 16 years old. They don't even start until they're 16. And there's a lot of investment into physical literacy, into the schools. The schools work with the sport organizations, you know, in North America and particularly in Canada, the clubs and the, and the community organizations compete with the schools for that athlete. So we've taken that athlete out of schools where that's the time for them to come together, to bond, to form relationships, to get school spirit going. And we're going, no, you're going to this private club over there. You're going to that private club over there. And we're actually doing exactly the opposite of what communities were designed to do, which in my opinion is bring people together. We're taking people apart and we're wondering why not just the sport, but the social, the intellectual, the loneliness, the mental health that you touched on. We're wondering why those issues are continuing to rise and rise. Hmm. Well, I tried stopping there for a sec just to say work. You use the key term work in that situation. Youth working at a young age at sport. This this whole concept of play or training, it's, it's now work. It really is, uh, which, which is so tough. So taking what you just said into consideration, like what would change look like for that? How what what would be some some pieces that that we can start changing as a culture to to start improving so that we're not fragmenting our sport communities and and our youth? Uh, Martin, that's the sixty four million dollar question. Literally, it's a great one. I I, I think you need a systematic reevaluation of uh, and reprioritization of what's going on, and that can happen at a community level, but it really needs to happen at a national, provincial and local level. Um, I, I think the easy way wins, I like the word, I like your description, the low hanging fruit. We need to bring sport back into school, period. Uh, we need to, we need to bring physical activity back into elementary school. We need to bring in specialist teachers back in to teach movement and phys ed so that kids do have the competence, competence and motivation to continue to be active for life. Uh, we need that to happen and it needs to be a priority. Um, you know, we need clubs and schools and sport organizations and schools to get along. Uh, right now, as you know, in Canada, we're so siloed that the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing, let alone ha engage in meaningful dialogue with them. And again, you know, to your point earlier in your question, what would that look like? I think I think you need to take one community that's actually ready, that actually says from their leadership down, their their mayor down and says, we are ready to do this. And what do we need to do? We will get all hands on deck and we want to do it and we want to commit for five years. And if you actually committed to doing that over five years, you would be able to track so many social determinants, uh, economic drivers. You'd be able to track so many positive things like we used to. Uh, in terms of how that benefited that community. So I, I think that's what needs to happen. Systematic change, um, and it needs to happen at a mul you know, multitude of levels. Yeah. 
challenging to do, but there certainly is a way. And I can share from my personal experience working with the 60 Minute Kids Club, being an Eastern Canadian ambassador out here and bringing, you know, positive, healthy habits into kids' lives at the elementary school level. Um, we started to see some shifts there and, and talk around communities and, and getting engaged with that. But I just want to bring some some attention to the 60 Minute Kids Club because it was a special experience for me to really be able to help educate and make some shift in, in that physical literacy piece and, and health um, habit piece. What is the 60 Minute Kids uh, Club up to right now? Uh, where are, I notice you guys are overseas, you guys are possibly in, in Denmark. There's doing some physical literacy stuff over there. So a little update on on that because we didn't even get to address it at the very beginning. Yeah, thanks, Martin. So 60 Minute Kids Club was basically, as you know, our first foyer into solutions. So how can we, instead of uh, continuing to spend and and, uh, and go on our advocacy binging, how can we actually get down to the education? So the activation, sorry. We've got a lot of information and education around what kids should be doing and why. We lack the how. We lack the activation strategy. So 60 Minute Kids Club was our attempt to bring technology uh, and combine it with the, the human touch so that you had the high touch and the high tech in the elementary school system. Like you, you, uh, you, you've hinted around it, teachers and most teachers and coaches want to be supported. No teacher and coach goes, I want to go in and be crappy at my craft. Very few of them. They want to be supported. So what we did was we said, we're going to support you by giving you these tools that you can seed in the school. Ultimately, they should be taking shape at home, like the recycling program. And so we built a fun and engaging program around engaging, number one, healthy habits, and number two, fundamental movement skills. So we had a, a champion ambassadors, of which you were we were privileged enough to have you as one, who would go to schools. Um, the champions could be principals, vice principals, people like yourself, Olympians, uh, sports figures, anybody who cared about physical literacy. Uh, you know, we started with a couple schools in the in, in Toronto and BC. We ended up scaling to to schools in every single province in the country, um, and then other countries started calling and saying, you know, we want this program nationalized over here. So again, it's you know, how do we bring accountability um, to the information and education? We need activation and accountability. I think. You know, you, you keep asking this question, and it's a great question. How do we start? And, and I think we move, we, we, we supplement the information and education body of work with the activation and accountability body of work. If we want people to achieve outcomes, we can't be afraid to hold them accountable. And in Canada especially, we don't like holding people accountable. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Well, it reminds me, I, I spoke at the One World Youth Health Summit uh, last October, and we were part of a, a few different break-off groups where uh, we were given these case studies on how to solve youth health issues, some in advocacy, some in advertising, some in physical literacy, some in just straight-up healthy habits. And all these groups came back with the feedback that the schools aren't doing enough. And like we're talking international groups of people saying it's all in the schools, the schools, the schools, the schools. And I remember leaving going, holy smokes. Something is so terribly wrong because my mom's a teacher. She's taught for 39 years. She's incredible. She coaches seven practices a week during volleyball season is just so into it. You know, she's an exceptional circumstance, but she's done it all herself and, and brought her own values to the classroom. And, and everyone was just blaming the teachers when really they don't necessarily a have the resources and b they're already fried. 
teachers are getting rocked right now in time. So it, to put that on the teachers just killed me. And I, I thought like, well, where's the home accountability? Where's the community accountability? Where's the top down accountability? I mean, it, it just caused these massive questions that, that actually really sparked my next initiative and in moving back into kids. Cause like, Holy smokes, everyone's just blaming the teachers. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, we, we often default to the easiest thing to do and the easiest thing to do is blame somebody else, but you're right, Martin. I mean, You know, it takes shape in the home, it takes shape in the school, and it takes shape in our society. So, you know, we all have a part in it in some way or the other. You know, and if you're not if you're not part of the solution, you actually become part of the problem. So, blaming is is you becoming part of the problem. I agree. However, um, I wouldn't say it's just the teachers. I would say it's the education system itself that needs to look at itself and say, look at as an education system. In its entirety, are we going to make space for physical education and activity, not just in phys ed, but in our entire school, how we set things up? Are we going to or are we just going to continue to uh, focus on reading, writing and arithmetic um, because that's the way we've always done things at a time and place, you know, in a time where, as you know, this is the time for innovation. This is the most amount of innovation we've ever seen. Uh, you know, so to put to put a lid on creativity through arts and through through physical education and, and that doesn't make sense, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And again, I agree with you. That's not a, um, you know, doesn't drill down to a teacher. That is a systematic, um, you know, revisit that needs to happen from somebody in a, in a, a decision making position. I love it. Well, I keep on thinking of a movement as an art. I, I come from sport. I train fitness for a long time. I'm currently a Nike trainer, and all I can think about is, is fitness is less fitness, and movement is more of an art form, and to get everybody to embrace that and learn it from a young age because it's so absolutely necessary for quality of life down the road. This whole this thing up here is attached to this thing down here. That's one of the same, and the amount of adults that I encounter that have no idea how to move their bodies and are, are essentially just going to be broken in in years is is staggering but they weren't taught as kids which is so tough and and they where they were supposed to learn was in the play and and we've taken away play so we're we're in interesting times right now my friend right absolutely um shifting on a little bit more personal side just we we've heard it the passion honestly comes out of the computer screen and punches me in the face but a couple core values that that you stand for and love to know how you bring those out in your life Oh yeah, good. Thanks. That's a that's a good one. Um, the core values. I think uh, challenge is one of the core values that um, that really resonates with me. I think if we're not consistently looking to challenge ourselves, we're preparing for that plateau. And when we're preparing for that plateau, we're preparing for the the slow um, the slow death. Um, so every year, for example, you know, we sit down as a family and we'll say in November, what are some of our, our aspirations for this next year? We're not going to wait till the resolutioners hit it in January. That, that highway is already crowded. We're going to do it in November and start in December so that we can get the head start. We don't, we don't want to do it. We're going to start on Thursday. So if we need to have the conversations and make plans for the following week, we do that on Thursday and Friday. We don't wait till Monday, uh, because we're, we want to be the first call on a Monday. So it's all about time management. It's all about, you know, you know, setting that challenge for ourselves to improve and to consistently learn each year. So we'll go around the table and we'll say, you know, what's one of the, one of the ways you're going to challenge yourself to get outside of your comfort zone? Because everyone talks about comfort zone where the magic happens. Everyone's liked it when they saw the little diagram. But do we actually hold ourselves accountable to doing that? Not, not often. 
So, you know, we'll say, okay, one of my challenges this year is going to be to try something I've never done. I've always wanted to do, but never done, or I've always wanted to do, but not make time for it. That's going to happen this year. And with that, as you know, um, comes the learning, comes the experience, comes the enjoyment from the process. By the time you get to the outcome, it doesn't even matter what the outcome is, if it's a time or whatever. It's the whole process that that has gone into place to get you there. So I'd say that's my number one core value. Number two core value is legacy. Um, I think we have a responsibility to pay it forward, uh, pay it back by paying it forward. Nobody got to where they are alone. We had people like you doing podcasts and sharing great information. You know, we had a lot of things to just take those things and keep them for ourselves and not turn around and pay them forward. I think that's a miss. It's a missed opportunity. Yeah. I think we need to do more in in, in the kindness realm um, to to support where we want to get to and, and less me, 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 uh, all about me. So those are two values that I think uh, um, are very near and dear to me. Um, again, challenge, uh, and then and then legacy. So so challenging yourself and then and then paying it back. Well, one term that wasn't really on my radar before I started talking with you is servant leadership, and that just sums it up right there. I mean, you, the amount of accountability that happens in your household I, must be off the charts. Your kids must be growing left, right, and center, which is awesome. Love, love that you're holding to a higher standard. Um, something that I'm interested in, and, and this is really just to expose you a little bit to the Quality Coaching Collective, how did you get to where you are today, uh, whether it was through occupation or, or some of the steps to where you are in this moment and the projects that you're working on? Because I know you've touched on a lot of different things and you have a pretty rich history starting Innovative Fitness in Vancouver. Pretty sure you went to UBC. Um, but take us a little bit through your story about how you've gotten to where you are at today. Yeah, thanks, Martin. Really quickly, I found the transformative power in sport. Uh, from a young age and I was not a high performance sport uh, like you were and don't get me wrong I played high performance all the way to the collegiate level but I wasn't you know I didn't have that Olympic um, level in me uh, or it wasn't nurtured but I did find the self-esteem that was associated with sport the camaraderie the socialization the mental aspects if I was moving I was feeling good if I was looking good I was feeling good if I was looking good I was doing well better at school etc so I, I found that intuitively and just decided that this was something I was passionate about and good at. And I think that's really uh, what has driven me to continue along this pathway. Um, if, if you look at the things that we've done, they're all in the health and wellness uh, sphere and realm. And they're all about giving back so that m m as many people that care to experience or can experience the benefits that I experienced, I, that's all I want. I want to share that with as many people as possible. Um, and so, you know, the bricks and mortar with the one-on-one -on -one training and then the the technology. Well, how can technology help us scale it to different audiences and bigger audiences uh, and then focusing on youth sport and kids? Um, it's all been the same. So it's all the same passion. It's all the same things. It's all the same fundamentals. It's just in a different place. And along the way, lots of learning, lots of failures, which are learning opportunities and opportunities for success if we show, if we so choose to to believe that uh, and and you know the biggest biggest thing has been surrounding ourselves with really really good people i said it at the onset i'll say it again you know this journey is not about matt young this journey is about so many people from my physical education teacher to you know my business partner to all of the people that have worked with us to 
people like you that we've met and been inspired by and, and, and been forced to elevate our game. I, I can't say enough, you know, get outside. Our, we, we need to get outside our little bubble and we need to get outside our little box and we need to find those people that, that uh, inspire us and we need to not just plug into them and drain their inspiration. We need to plug into them and, and, you know, and, and bring our magic to the table. So that's really how we've been able to get here and, and just, you know, persistent one, get up each day, put one foot in front of the other and just show up. Yeah. You know, a lot of people say, well, you're, you're lucky or how did you get so successful? Well, it's a, life is a culmination of little things and we're all capable of doing it. And it starts with literally getting out of bed on time and putting one foot down and saying, I'm here. Uh, and that's the, the victor mentality instead of the victim mentality. Oh no, it's Monday or it's raining or, or, you know, people say, well, how can you live that way? And I go, well, it's, I'm doing the exact same thing you're doing, but it's the exact opposite. <laughs> so it, it's no different. The mindset's the mindset. You choose which way you're going to do. You're going to be, you know, whiny or complainy or blamey, or you're going to take responsibility and, and move. Well, I've always noticed that you are are very much in control of your own narrative at all times. And you're such a big picture thinker and are tackling enormous ideas. But just to that point, you break it down into these tiny little steps day to day, which, which I love. And that's something we can all take away. Um, would love for you to share a, a moment or, or a story of just really captures what you love to do and, and why you do it, where there's just a tangible moment where, where you were doing exactly what you're doing and, and you saw it be facilitated. So just take us through a moment where it, it truly speaks about what you love doing, which right now there's a ton of things that we're all taking in. Yeah, you know what, and, and and I hope you get a lot of value out of the story I'm about to share with you because people always ask, you know, what was your best coaching moment? And, and for me, it's all it's about it's not about me. It's about how the things that you, me, that we, our group are sharing and saying, do we actually see them come to life? And it's very seldom do you actually see it get to come to life in real time. Often, I don't know about you, but often it's, it, people go away and they come back and they go, you know, Martin. I remember you said that to me and I wasn't really listening or ready at the time, but then I just want to say thank you so much. Like it's always after the fact, which is okay. But this one story, we got to see it in real time. I was coaching baseball there. It was, it was 10 and 11 year olds. And you know, we're in the usual baseball system where, you know, one coach stacks his team so they don't show up for tryouts so they can all get on his team every year. They've been winning every year. I didn't really care. I just thought, okay, this is baseball politics at 10 doesn't make sense, but whatever. Uh, in show up shows this kid, his name was Tristan and Tristan and his parents had just uh, come over to Canada from South Africa and his parents enrolled him in baseball. So there we are practicing and we're having a pretty high level practice. And, and dad goes, Hey Matt from the stands, uh, Tristan's here. He's on your team. What does he need? And I was like, what do you mean? He goes, well, does he, why are all those kids wearing, like, does he need one of those baseball gloves? <laughs> I was like, Wow. Okay. Yeah, he does. And I was like, okay, awesome. This is going to be a great experience. So Tristan looked like a praying mantis every time he was at the bat. His body was too big for his, his, he was an early developer, but his arms weren't connected to his torso, wasn't connected to his legs. And he was a guaranteed strikeout. Like I mean guaranteed strikeout. And we worked on it and worked on it and worked on it and worked on it. And you know what? He just couldn't 
master it for some reason. And that was okay because he was good in the field. We highlighted the things that he was good at. We never hit him. Everyone was always supportive. It didn't matter. Everyone's going, nice try. You were closer. There was always something. We're in the championship game. Babe Ruth story. Two out at the bottom of the ninth. We're tied. So we weren't down. We're tied. Base is loaded. Tristan's at the plate. And, and and this is the championship game for these kids. And I go, Tristan, you know what? All year you've been trying, and that's all we can ask of you. You've tried. All you have to do is go up and try. And he, I remember we're standing on the first baseline. He's looking at me. He's not paying attention to the ball. The ball goes by him. I think he's still got eye contact with me. So I move to the third baseline. And on the way by, I go, hey, just relax, just relax. You can tell he's stressed. Third baseline, he's looking at me. He's not looking at the ball. And so he, he strikes strike two. So I take a little time out. I go up to him and I go, stop looking at me. So I, I go I go out behind the third base dugout. The next pitch, Tristan hits a triple, drives in the winning runs. And I remember, his, I remember looking at him on second base. He was so emotional that he was bawling and jumping up and down. He almost got tagged out because he didn't really, he'd never been on the base. So he didn't know what to do when he got on the base. And I looked in the stands and his parents were, were just in tears and at tears of joy. Um, you know, we won. Tristan goes up on the kid's shoulders. You know, he's one of the heroes of the game. And for me, that is what it's all about. It's about using our talents, our gifts, our experience to help somebody discover something about themselves that they might not have had the courage or opportunity to discover, um, you know, had they not shown up in our care. Uh, And, you know, in this case, it happened to be driving in the winning runs, but it wouldn't have mattered if it was a, a regular game or whatever. It wouldn't have mattered. It, the, the fact that it was the, the championship game was just icing on the cake for him. And and for us, I mean, I think that's, I think we need more of that. We need to see more of that. We need to cult, cultivate more of that. We need to stop um, this insane focus on the 1% and the elite of the elite and thinking that that's where... all the coolness happens and we really need to be a lot more inclusive by every sense of the term. So that's my story. And, and uh, it was a really good one. So thanks for asking that. Yeah. Well, there's so many takeaways from that, but the, the life moment that he had as a young boy that will hopefully create ripples and waves for the rest of his life, just because of that single opportunity playing baseball is, is humongous. So I, I, I always liken the story of sport to the story of life. They're one and the same. And sport is just an incredible way of staging the game of life in a different circumstance so that youth or, or anybody for that matter can can practice the qualities that, that are required in athletics and, and then translate that to life. And so moving away from that outcome base, but then all of a sudden you, you get a, a kid hitting that triple and the game winner. That's a, a true game changer. Pardon the pun. Yeah, you know what, Martin? And, and the thing is, again, you know, you and, and myself, we're not anti-outcome. We're not anti-win. I just want to reiterate that again. You know, look at the outcome that we had. But the outcome that we had didn't come because we yelled at that kid that he needed to hit the ball or do something. That It didn't come because of that. It became it came because of the process, learning how to throw, field, catch, doing all those things. And, you know, that's where the learning happens. If we, if we focused more on that, way more outcomes would, would come to fruition for way more kids at every single level. So I just want to, you know, I want to be really clear. I'm not anti like, are you anti-win? Are you the participation ribbon guy? No, I'm not. I, I'm not that participation guy. But I am, you know, let's focus on the process and let the outcome take care of itself. Yeah, 
Absolutely. I was at uh, our performance combine where they were doing a bunch of testing for athletes the other day and, and recorded a podcast with a friend of mine who also subscribes to this level of thinking. And, and we just tried changing the tone of this whole athletic performance or high performance and just let's reel it back to human performance here. And this whole high performance piece is you're comparing yourself to everybody else every day and it's just paper thin. You are your vert. You are your 10 meter sprint test and and it can be crippling and it's just so microscopic versus where can we create a platform where we go internal and we compare ourselves to ourselves and we look at the human development over time, not necessarily just looking in that moment to compare ourselves to, to other people, which, you know, is happening at younger, younger ages. And I shared it before, like the coping mechanisms just aren't there. The pressure is so high at such a young age. What on earth is an elite eight-year-old? What does that mean? <laughs> the, like Just by the nature of the definition of elite, uh, you know, when I ask people, when we when we ask people, what who, describe an elite athlete? Kobe Bryant. You know, we we've got even yourself. You, you play that. You get to say that because being an Olympian is an elite level. Somebody showing up and putting on a shirt that says elite at eight, nine, and ten does not make them an elite athlete. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't. I'm sorry. So I'm I'm in total agreement with what you're saying. We need to rethink the verbiage. We, we want as many kids involved in movement, in sport, in activity, in friendships, in community. We want to create that, uh, and we need to do a better job, period. Yeah. Well, I, I'm talking a lot more with athletes now getting back into the scene. You know, a good friend of mine is Adam Vancouverton, celebrated Olympian, a couple other MLB guys, NHL guys. Richard Clune just had lunch with him the other day, and we're just talking about this whole growth piece around – what sports did you play when you were a kid? And we were all seasonal athletes. Not a single person that I spoke to specialized early. We all played numerous different activities, changed between seasons. We were all multi-sport. And it just dawned on me, holy smokes, like that, that was our era. And now it's, you know, that single sport athlete cyborg at, at nine years old. And we're starting to see some interesting things come down the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, Let's shift to the QCC. Uh, my question here is, why do you want to be a part of the QCC? But for you, this is a special one because this is something that you brought to life. And I was very fortunate to be at a conference with you asking, like, what's happening? Where, where's the movement here? There's a lot of talk. Where's the action? And a week later, I get an email from you saying, do you want to be a part of this? So um, I'm just going to give you the floor here. Do you want to just talk a little bit about the QCC, what it means to you, and, and why you brought it to life? Yeah, the Quality Coaching Collective, thank you very much. And I really mean that. Thank you very much because it was at the – you know that it was because of that uh, and you challenging me and us to do something and stop talking about it um, that the Quality Coaching Collective was formed. So we've got a lot of great organizations here in Canada, uh, and they've been doing a lot of great things. Um, I, I would say the opportunity is they haven't filled some blind spots. So there's a lot of academia research heavy um, organizations that continue to advocacy and, and, and share information and education. But there's very few organizations in our country that actually drill down into activation. So it's not, you know, it's not what we know. It's what we do with what we know. And we needed some doers. So throughout my experience, I've been fortunate enough to meet quite a few people like yourself who are action oriented, who just get itchy in a room when they start hearing the same conversation over and over and over again. So, you know, we got ourselves together and said, listen, 
there's enough of us here from Canada and, and the U.S. Why don't we put together this collective and see if we can start, you know, um, getting some opportunities to show what we're doing to, to really focus on the accountability and the activation strategies, tools, resources that we have and we're doing. Um, so we put ourselves together, some teachers, uh, you, know, you know, some speakers like yourself, some Olympians, some thought leaders, some idea people with very um, specific skill sets around, you, you know, uh, uh, how to how to start up nonprofit organizations, um, uh, governance, etc. And we just picked one or two people uh, from varying disciplines and put them together and, and and called ourselves the Quality Coaching Collective. And we're here to help organizations of all levels, local organizations, um, bigger organizations. Some, in, some are in business. Some, most are in sport, but some are in business. Talk about the things and deal with the things and give expertise and guidance to help them be self-sustainable. We don't want to be on the mountain with a picture of ourselves and a flag that says, we solve this. We don't need to be the heroes and heroines. What we need to be is the conduits. And I think that's a refreshing look at, you know, at, at the consulting world, particularly in the space that we work in. Uh, you know, we servant leadership. You talked about it. Everyone that's in the Quality Coaching Collective is a servant leadership. We started with how many? Ten. And now all of a sudden we're approaching 30 from, you know, we, we invited our first uh, international delegates from New Zealand and Denmark. And these people are finding us and saying, hey, I want to be a part of this. I want to do something, uh, you know, and and not surprisingly, we're getting lots of um, uh, calls and it's spurring ideas. People from inside the collective are getting motivated and inspired to do great things like you're doing right now. People from outside of the collective are saying, hey, we'd like you guys to be here. How can we help? Um, you know, we just got a lot of people that are ready to roll up the sleeves and do do stuff instead of talk about stuff. And uh, that's the collective. Love it. What a novel concept. Action. All about the action. Let's do this. Um, you've, you've said a ton of stuff about what it means to you, but I, I just really want to know from Matt Young, like, what does the Quality Coaching Collective mean to you? The, the Quality Coaching Collective to me, collective to me is, uh, means that, that I personally have arrived at a spot where, where I can call on fantastic people to um, challenge me, to challenge us, to grow together, and to really um, accomplish some really great things. I, 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 of all the things that we've done, it's one of the most exciting projects I've ever been in because it's taking all the fantastic relationships that we've had and it's bringing people together. And, uh, and, and the people can showcase their talents and their wares where they might not have otherwise been able to do that. And, you know, uh, one plus one equals three. Well, we got 30. So by, by all of our utilizing all of our networks, our ability to service and help people is exponentially greater than us trying to, to do it uh, on our own. So it's, uh, it's the most exciting project I've been in um, to date because it's the one that I'm in right now. Well, that's saying a lot because you've been a part of a lot of great projects and led a lot to, to success. And um, what gets you excited about the QCC moving forward? Because you are that big picture thinker. I, I can't wait to, to be a part of some, some of the initiatives that we get up to. But what gets you fired up here moving forward? Yeah, we're going to do some great things, Martin. Um, you know, w- watching you um, kind of t- transition to your next career and, and find out what it is you're passionate about and go for it. Um, you know, that excites me and to see where you're going to go excites me to see some of the things that we're going to do individually as part of the collective and together as part of the collective 
it's it's pretty powerful and you know we are we're getting um some pretty uh, uh, powerful gigs if you would have told me when i was small living in a town of 1600 people that you know i'd be going to the the us olympic high performance training center and talking to the director of coach development down there or dealing with people that you know from fresno state from from sport new zealand from from sport norway I would have said, you got to be kidding me. Um, so to be able to have that opportunity and, and be on that journey and learn so much, it's just so exciting. So we're going to do some big things and, uh, and we're not going to talk about it. We're going to be doing it. So you're probably not going to hear about it because we're not going to be talking about it. We're going to be doing stuff. <laughs> well, speaking of the doing, what are, what are some outcomes or, or a outcome that, that you're really looking forward to the, the QCC standing for um, because this is such an outcome-based uh, group of people and, and leader uh, such as yourself. Yeah, we're going to move the needle on youth sports. That That's without a doubt, whether it's at a community level, whether it's at a school level, we're, we're, whether it's at a national level or an international level, we're going to, we're going to move that needle kind of back to a place where, where it needs to be. We don't have to keep going from one end to the other end, the spectrum swings and massive shifts from, you know, win at all costs to everyone gets a participation ribbon. We just need to land somewhere in the middle uh, and we're going to help do that, period. Awesome. And is that that youth sport piece is where you think the QCC has the greatest possible room for impact? Yeah, I do. I, I mean, I think it has, a, I think it, the, the, the collective has a lot of room for impact depending on where that where the person is coming in, whether it's business development in a business that's not sport related, whether it's governance on a not-for-profit organization, whether it is uh, public speakers, um, you know, we can, we've got the, the resources and the people to access from our networks to give a good quality uh, individual or group effort to satisfy whatever the needs of, the, of, of our customers may be. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm so fired up to be a part of change and to be one of 30 and growing people who are interested in in being on the ground and making that happen. Um, Is there anyone that you'd like to acknowledge within the QCC or share that you're looking forward to? Now, this is a unique case for you because you have hand-selected these people. So, um, you know, you're you're essentially already working with 30 people. So why don't I shift that question to, is there anything that you're currently mobilizing that you can talk about uh, that you're really fired up about and, and really looking forward to? Yeah, and I know that's what you're getting at. I know I was putting it off, but I, I let the cat out of the bag. We're working with one of the uh, big four sport organizations, and there's only four. Well, there's maybe more than four, but let's just say, for argument's sake, there might be the NBA, NHL, uh, Major League Baseball, and uh, and the NHL. So one of those four, uh, we're getting geared up to to we're in discussions in to how we can support them in their grassroots development to really um, uh, take responsibility to shaping their sport because they're concerned with the dropout in their sport and we are are looking forward to trying to work with them to to figure that out amazing amazing and to to shift that to a recent uh share the cost of winning was a short that recently came through my channels thanks to the qcc i know that you guys have been working on this for a little bit would you mind just talking about that because uh, it was such a high-impact 12-minute video. Uh, I'll put that in the show notes after and make sure that people have access to it. But the cost of winning, um, big message right there. Just yeah. address that a little bit, please. Yeah, thanks. It, it Cost of winning is our attempt at 
you know, in order to in order to make a sale, you need between six and twelve points of contact, and those points of contact cannot be the same point of contact. So, spamming something in our Twitter account a thousand times—that's only one point of contact because it's only one medium. So, you know, the 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 obsession with winning and the effects that it's having on youth sport—you know—we tried to address it, um, but we addressed it in a much different way. You know, we addressed it from an athlete's perspective. We, we address it through the parents' perspective. We address it through coaches' perspective. And we address it through the organization's perspective. We really wanted to be intentional. So we put together a short with uh, with commentary from not just, you know, Matt and his guys, which everyone says, oh, yeah, you've been saying the same thing. But, you know, the director of coach development at the United States Olympic Committee, the re- director of sport development at the Sport New Zealand Committee, the director of sport uh, uh, from Norway ski jumping. You know, so now it was like, holy smokes, this is not just uh, my own community or one guy standing up and speaking. These are people from all over the world, respected leaders in their in their fields, speaking on their concerns with what we're doing. Wow, I better pay attention to this. So, yeah, we've had some really good uh, feedback from it. It's 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 again, it's got people to start thinking. And the next thing is after you're thinking, you know, how can we take action? So we'll finish that off towards the end of the year for the rest of the documentary and, and we'll release it and and hopefully get shared Martin with as many and many people as possible. Cannot wait for the later half of that video. It was, it was serious. I've shared that through my entire network and a lot of people went, what? No idea that was happening. So Mm -hmm. if you haven't seen it, go watch it. Um, Matt, tail end of the uh of the conversation i just want to acknowledge you as a leader and as a quality human being who really is making an impact in the world you've challenged me for the last five years and i've always had you on the back of my mind as, as someone that uh you know I, I loosely consider a mentor and, and someone that i truly respect so uh honored to be a part of this group and really looking forward to what we can all accomplish together um i'm as you said, looking to shifting my, my focus and attention into youth, health, and, and sport landscape and really lead a strong message about the human development versus high-performance development. So um, can't wait to learn more from you and, and the rest of the collective as we go. And once again, thanks to you for, for bringing us all together to make some change. Hey, my pleasure. And Martin, thank you so much because so many young people are going to be have the gift um, of your time and your expertise, and that is super powerful. You are doing. You are going to be. You're going to be impacting many, many, many lives. So, uh, right back at you. Thank you so much. Thank you for launching this podcast. Thank you for sharing and scaling important messages. And and thank you for deciding to follow what you're passionate about and really good at. Appreciate it. Hey, we're just getting started. Episode one <laughs> in, in the books. Yeah, that's right. Okay, beautiful Matt. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. You bet. Okay, bye. Bye Bye-bye.